You must remember that when the Constitution was written, that women were regarded as property. The struggle for an Equal Rights Amendment traces back to 1923 when feminist Alice Paul wrote the words that became ERA. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. So as we march today, remember, forward together, backward never. If you could change one thing about the Constitution, what would it be? I would add an Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution. Today, the House of Representatives cleared a hurdle to make the Equal Rights Amendment the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. The House voted to remove a deadline for states to ratify the amendment, which would guarantee women the same legal rights as men. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, human rights attorney, feminist, and advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. Today we're going to do something a little bit different because we want to get you caught up with all of the current news about the Equal Rights Amendment. And there is a lot. So I'm going to talk to a very special guest. Hi, I'm Jenny Kaplan. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Wonder Media Network. And ERA fan extraordinaire. I mean, recently, <laughs> yes, as of the past eight months. So, Kate, what's the deal? What's happened? A lot has happened with the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, the first most exciting piece of news that we've talked about a little bit on the podcast so far is that Virginia became the 38th and final needed state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Woo! Yay! <laughs> that means many things, but one of them is it's sort of the capstone of 100 years of work of women in this country to meet the requirements of Article 5 of the Constitution, which governs the amendment process. It's pretty simple. It has to pass in both houses of Congress by two-thirds, and then it has to go to the states for ratification, and that has to be three-fourths or 38. So all this time through the 1970s, we got to 35. In 2017, we got Nevada, which was huge and brought back this really robust movement. Then in 2018, we got Illinois. It was like, you know, the momentum is picking up. And finally, in 2020, now we have Virginia. We have the last requirement. We've met it. And a lot of people are very, very excited because this is such a hard fought battle. And also because the amendment process is so cumbersome. Like we have barely any amendments to our constitution. Many other countries have full turnovers, have rewrites, have constant updates, have really modernized. And ours is largely the same. And so that's because the process is so difficult. So we finally met this threshold. We finally got the 38 states. And so Virginia is really, it's a, it's a time for us to celebrate in the movement um, that we achieved something that's so, so difficult to achieve. Given that that exciting final state happened, why aren't we celebrating? What has to happen between now and the amendment actually being added to the Constitution? So I know people will be shocked, but Trump is getting in the way. <laughs> Before Virginia ratified, Trump's lawyers, which is called the Office of Legal Counsel, so it's basically the, the lawyers for the administration. So when the administration makes a decision, they have to go to their lawyers like everyone else does and say, OK, what should I do? What's the legal basis for this? How do I justify these things? So Trump went to his lawyers 
and said, write me an opinion about the Equal Rights Amendment. That opinion or memo came out and surprise, surprise, they opposed the Equal Rights Amendment and essentially argued that it's already dead and instructed the archivist, who's also part of the administration, not to certify the amendment. So the archivist is literally some dude who got a library science degree and is mostly concerned with archiving things in our National Register. And, you know, he's a librarian. So this archivist has now become sort of a controversial figure because Congress has decided that once in a minute, you know, the person who keeps track of ratifications, who kind of like keeps a tally and is like, okay, now we have Nevada. Okay, now we have Illinois. Okay, now we have Virginia. That's their job. And they have kept track of all the ratifications. And now what they're supposed to do is certify that amendment and publish it in the National Register. And then it just becomes part of the Constitution. That's what happened with the 27th Amendment, the most recent amendment. It took 203 years to ratify the 27th Amendment. So this archivist kept track of all the ratifications along the way. Finally, in the 90s, they get the 38th ratification and he publishes it. And, and it's now part of the Constitution. So that's sort of his job. But what Trump did and his lawyers said, no, you can't certify it. We're the boss of you. And you can't certify it. You're part of the administration. So don't. So that's kind of where we're at. We're at a standstill where some argue, OK, Article 5 is very clear and we have met the requirements in Article 5. So it is part of the Constitution. Then there are people on the other side who are saying you have not met the requirements because of the deadline and because some states attempted to rescind. So it's moot. And if you want it, you have to start all over. So those two sides are kind of duking it out. Two clarification questions. One, is this Donald Trump himself or members of his administration? So the OLC is part of the administration. So it's basically like imagine like very grumpy evil men lawyers in a tower creating decisions. That's how I imagine it. There might also be some women, <laughs> but the people who signed it were men. So these are his lawyers, his lackeys. They've made justifications for all kinds of terrible things, including the Muslim ban and all these other things. So these are lawyers who are just like churning out legal justifications for his very, very bad decisions. And secondly... And they are evil, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> secondly... Has there been any word from the archivist? Like, is there any indication that he is or is not going to take any action? So the archivist actually requested the opinion from the Trump administration because, again, the archivist, though he is an Obama appointee, is part of the administration. And again, just like a library dude. Like, he's not he's not in it to win it. He's not in it to, like, be the hero. He's not in it to be, like, imprisoned by Donald Trump or whatever would happen as a result for standing up to him. So he basically requested, like, what do I do? And then they issued that opinion. So he will comply with that opinion. OK. In the meantime, you mentioned the deadline, which, in case people haven't been listening to Ordinary Equality, which you should. You should rewind and go to previous episodes. The deadline expired quite some time ago, mm -hmm. but may not actually be something that has to be held. So could you talk about that a little bit and talk about um, what's happening on that front? I know there's some news. Yeah. So news on the deadline front. 
The Equal Rights Amendment initially had a deadline imposed by Congress. They put it in the preamble to the resolution to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment in 1972 when it was passed, and that gave a seven-year deadline. Interestingly, deadlines are not part of Article 5. So in the Constitution, there's a lot of things that actually have deadlines. Like it says the census has to take place every 10 years. It says reps have to get reelected every two years. It has there, there are deadlines for things. But Article 5 that governs amendment process does not have a deadline. It basically says it's up to Congress. So Congress put in this seven-year deadline. The reason it's seven years is kind of strange. The first deadline for an amendment was actually imposed during Prohibition. So Prohibition was obviously very controversial, and they didn't actually want prohibition to make it into the Constitution, but it was wildly popular among the voter base. So they passed prohibition, put a seven-year deadline, hoping that would kill it eventually, but it was ratified within a year. So it like totally failed, and the deadline then became sort of a custom, and every amendment after that had a deadline attached to it, except for the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. So we started with prohibition. We've inherited this weird seven-year deadline. That got into the Equal Rights Amendment as well with the intention of killing it. So as you remember from last episode when we talked about Alice Paul, Alice Paul was weeping because she thought the deadline would kill the amendment eventually, and she was right. The approach now in what's called the three-state solution to get the additional three states needed is that we'll get those three additional states, which we just did with Virginia, and then we'll eliminate the deadline. So the deadline originally was already extended once. In 1978, the 1979 deadline was looming and people were freaking out and there was huge marches on DC and there were all these people working to extend the deadline. And they did that. They voted and it, they extended the deadline from 79 to 82, just three additional years. Carter signed that as a show of support that he supported the deadline extension. So we have precedent that Congress can change the deadline. They already did it once. So the idea is that they can do it now and eliminate that original deadline because no previous Congress can bind a future Congress. So just recently, the House voted to eliminate the deadline. That was Jackie Spears' bill. She's a representative from California and longtime ERA supporter. So that passed in the House. The idea now, of course, is that it has to go to the Senate. You know, some people are calling it a graveyard. Many things are not getting through. Mitch McConnell is really uh, keeping a very tight leash on what gets through. So if it doesn't get through in the Senate this year, uh, the, there is a possibility for a leadership change in the Senate. Many different things can happen in November. So the deadline elimination bill does have to get through both chambers, though. Okay, so there's a lot of action on multiple fronts here. So obviously it's 2020, we have an election going on. So whether the deadline elimination bill gets through the Senate or not, there could also be action on that post-November. And there's stuff sort of going through Congress. There's also all of the stuff happening with the archivist. And there's action on the ground in multiple states. How do those things sort of interact with each other? What happens with the energy that's like, we want this to be pushed through from the states? The federal administration is saying, you're not allowed to pass this right now. Or you're not allowed to, to the archivist, you're not allowed to put this into the Constitution. So there is a lot of movement surging up from the states. And then we also have these three states that are lingering. Like they got it ratified. They want their ratifications to count. And so um, Nevada again, who ratified in 2017, Illinois, who ratified in 
2018, and then Virginia, that ratified this year, came together. Their attorneys general filed a lawsuit, so they're suing uh, to compel the archivist to, what they're saying, do your job. We've met the requirements. We want our ratifications to be counted, and we want this to be put into the Constitution. So the attorneys general of those states are pursuing a remedy through the courts to say, you know, we don't even need Congress to eliminate this deadline. We've met the requirements and we can get it through. So that case will work its way through the courts. Other states' attorney general may join them because other states have also ratified and want those ratifications to hold legal significance, to do what they wanted it to do. On the other side, there are some states who have filed different litigation in order to stop the archivist or to have their rescissions counted. So one of those states was South Dakota. And one of those, you know, South Dakota, Alabama, Tennessee, uh, some of these other states have said, no, they can't count. And they filed that in district court in Alabama. So they're trying to say, no, those ratifications don't count and it's not part of the Constitution. I I would argue they don't really have standing. Uh, Alabama is the only state, actually, that has never had a vote on the Equal Rights Amendment. So they never even voted in neither chamber ever, not in the 1970s, not now to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. It's literally the only state in the nation that never has had any vote. And so I don't really think that they have standing to file this type of lawsuit, um, but they're also trying to intervene in the other, the other suit. So basically what's happening is a lot of these states are now kind of trying to duke it out in the courts and decide, do, do our ratifications count? Do they not? Do our rescissions count? Do they not? And that will have to be decided in the courts. But it's very exciting that these three attorneys general who very clearly have standing, who very clearly have a case because their states went through the entire process to ratify. And now they're just waiting, saying, you have to count what we did. You have to put us on the tally. As a lawyer, I'm pretty new to podcasting, and I'm learning all about the tasks and organization and business aspects that go behind the back end of making a podcast successful. As a lawyer, I'm finding out that even creative projects take a ton of organizing. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. It's perfect for freelancers and entrepreneurs or business owners that want to consolidate all the services they already use. With HoneyBook, you can automate your busy work. They have easy to use templates for emails, proposals, brochures, and invoices, all that stuff to get your creative projects done. Right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit honeybook.com equality. Payment is flexible, and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to honeybook.com equality for 50% off your first year. That's honeybook.com equality. So speaking of courts, on the next episode of Ordinary Equality, you're going to be talking a lot about this person, someone who's highly appreciated by basically everyone on the left, a fan favorite, the one and only RBG. And she has recently come out with some comments about the ERA that are being talked about widely. Well, I would like to see a new beginning. I'd like it to start over. There's too much controversy about latecomers, Virginia, long after the deadline passed. Plus, a number of states have withdrawn their ratification. So if you count a latecomer on the plus side, 
How can you disregard states that said, we've changed our minds? Yeah, so this is the only time I've ever seen uber conservative people quote RBG. <laughs> they're like loving her, making memes of her. They're just like they're they're just a lot of new con- newfound fans they're of doing RBG. Her workout. <laughs> they're do- <laughs> they're doing her workout. They're loving it because in a panel, uh, sort of, she made some offhand comments about the Equal Rights Amendment, and she said that she preferred the start over solution, which is start over from scratch and 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 get a new Equal Rights Amendment. Well, first of all, to that, I would say, you know, she's still saying we need an Equal Rights Amendment. She's been very consistent on that since the 1970s. She's always said, if you could add one thing to the Constitution, what would it be? Equal Rights Amendment. Very, very consistent on that. So she's still saying we need it, which is something they're kind of ignoring. (laughs) But she does say she prefers the start-over solution. She says it's, you know, too controversial and and she thinks that people should start over. Two things I would say about that. She's not making a judgment on a case. So if the case comes before her, she's not saying, I'm telling you how I'm going to vote on this case because Supreme Court justices never do that. They do not comment on cases that come before them or that potentially could come before them. What she's commenting on is her personal preference for strategy on the ground. Uh, If the case comes before her, she will listen to both sides of the argument. They will be very well briefed. They'll have oral arguments. And then she'll make her decision based on that information. So this offhand comment that she made on a panel is not an indicator of how she's going to decide on the issue in court when it comes to the Supreme Court. Secondly, I would say, you know, RBG is a brilliant woman, a longtime fighter for the Equal Rights Amendment, but really she is an academic at the end of the day. She was a professor and then uh, she was an appellate litigator. So she never actually like fought in court. She never, you know, she appellate litigators really just do a lot of research, essentially. They do a lot of research and then they argue the cases before the Supreme Court or, or a federal court. So as an academic and an appellate litigator, she's never been on the ground. She was never part of the movement to get the ERA ratified in the state houses. She was never part of this on-the-ground movement to do the dirty work of what it takes to get an amendment ratified. As someone who is (laughs) and who has been to a lot of these states that are very difficult to get things ratified and have no infrastructure for women's rights, Utah, Virginia, Georgia, North Carolina, some of these places where we've got to get things ratified, it is... I think a little bit of a idealistic fantasy to think that it's going to just be easy to pass it again and get it ratified by all the states. I mean, think about it. It took 100 years to get where we are today, literally. So for her to say, let's just start over is frustrating for a lot of advocates (laughs) who have done so much work to get to where we are and to get Virginia finally ratified. And then to have someone who has long been an advocate of the Equal Rights Amendment uh, suggest we start over is a big blow. Um, But what I say is, you know what? She's still for it. Always has been. And we're going to get it one way or the other. So will we have to start over eventually? That depends on the outcome of these court cases. It depends on what happens in Congress. But even if we have to start over, it will happen. It will just take a lot longer. She even said if a new country was to model their constitution after another, she would not recommend the United States of America. She would say South Africa or one of these other countries with a newer, more progressive constitution because they have a gender provision. So to have a Supreme Court justice say our constitution is not the best one, (laughs) I think says a lot. Totally. And also as 
listeners will learn next week. Her life's work has been to basically figure out ways to support gender equity without the ERA. So she clearly is in favor of it happening. It's just a matter of how it's happening, the strategy. Yeah, whatever it takes. Her life's work is to try to work us into the nooks and crannies of an idea we were never imagined to be a part of and into the 14th Amendment, which was explicitly intended to protect people on the basis of race. So she's been trying to work us in through these back channels her whole life and see something reflected in a document that was never imagined to be, as Anthony Scalia spoke with alarming candor, that uh, the Constitution does not prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex. So she's trying to work us in through these back channels, and we're trying to work us in through the front door and say, no, just change the document. Put us in it. So more on that next time. More on that next week, everyone. I'm excited to keep listening and learning more. And I'm sure our listeners are pumped too. So thank you for letting me hang for this special app. <laughs> thank you. Next episode of Ordinary Equality, we're going to dive into what some people call the de facto ERA. It's sort of a patchwork of litigation and legislation that has got women additional rights under the law led by none other than Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself. Ordinary Equality is a Wonder Media Network production edited and produced by Liz Smith, executive produced by Jenny Kaplan, with support from Edie Allert. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Wardell. Special thanks to my employer, Equality Now, an international human rights organization that works to protect and promote the rights of women and girls all around the world. To learn more about what you can do to support the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment, check out equalitynow.org ERA. To follow along with our journey, find us on Twitter at Ord Equality, O-R-D Equality. If you like our show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Wonder Media Network is a women-led podcasting company dedicated to lifting up underrepresented voices based in New York City. tell you about another podcast I love called Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's hosted by Tracy V. Wilson and Holly Fry, two ladies who learned to love history as they realized how our modern world was shaped by little-known people and events. Episodes dig into topics that haven't gotten enough attention, whether they're weird, wonderful, scary, or sad. They look at everything from a decades-long dispute between butter and margarine to a pair of lions that terrorized a railroad crew in Kenya, to the only successful coup d'etat in American history. Listen to Stuff You Missed in History class on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.